Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle.
O come, O come, Emmanuel, King of Israel, born with the weight of humanity across your shoulders. But, dear Jesus, I've always wanted to ask, did you know what you were coming to? When your eyes opened and stared into the darkness of your night, how could your heart remain silent when its mission was bent on the salvation of those who didn't know that you, you were the one that they had been praying for? Were the angels singing in celebration? Or was there some point of desperation in their song as they were longing for somebody to realize the child born is the one who has worn the weight of his father's approval across his only goal, which was to save us from a place that was never meant to be home? At what point did your own not receive you? Do you know that your cries brought hope to the shepherds as the weight of all they believed washed over what they had just heard for the first time? Their king did not have to look down at their position with the sins of their sons splayed across generations. Did they know what they were looking at? Could the wise men fathom the secrets that were hidden behind your eyes as your cries would rise to the heavens that you just came from? At what point did we deduce 
That our salvation had come from the price of holiness. That our worthiness would no longer be defined by the one who had been sacrificed for us. But by if we had accepted that grace on our lives. Plus, God. When did we deduce that in order to separate ourselves from the sin and the promise that a new day is produced, that holes would have to be made in the hands of a child too young to understand that the lamb, the lamb was made for the slaughter. Or that would be his choice, that love would be what led him forward. At what point did we figure out that the light of the world was staring back at us? Jesus, could you see my unbelief in the rain? as you strained under the weight of the mistakes that would cross our paths in the first place. And you know what? I realized that you saw this and more. You are the Savior who has experienced every single human emotion, if only to promise me that, yes, you have seen the hills and the valleys, and you are still strong enough to lead me through it. Hosanna in the highest Hallelujah, our king is coming. Can't you hear it? The gifts given come with the expectation and the exaltation of the gifts that we didn't think to give with the words we never thought to say because of a promise that we couldn't figure out if it was going to be fulfilled or not. It is the promise that the years of darkness both forward and back would be relieved because prophecy has said it is so. So, O come, Emmanuel. Hallelujah in the highest. Our salvation is here. We have nothing more to fear. Praise God. Can't you hear it, church? For the first time in a long time, I can convince you that that child in the manger, the gift that is protected, we have nothing more to fear. Our king, our king is here. Listen to our feet and sing tonight. It's Christmas. Woo! Let's sing Angels We Have Heard on High. Angels We Have Heard on High. Sweetly singing over the plain And the mountains in reply Echoing their joyous dreams Why this jubilee? 
Why you join your strings for long? What the clouds some tidings be? Which inspires our heavenly song? Speaker 
Merry Christmas, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Welcome to Garfield Church, uh, one church in three locations here in Pepper Pike, South Euclid, and even Liberia, Africa. Uh, now's the time in our worship where we take up offering. And so, ushers, if you may please come forward and let's bow our heads because now's the time for the prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this this night, this evening that's um, right before the coming of your son, Jesus Christ, the King of King, Emmanuel, Lord with us. Lord, thank you. Thank you for all your blessings. Thank you for all that you do here and always. Thank you for the peace you grant us in knowing that you, God, are sovereign over all our circumstances, our pain over justice in this broken world. Yes, our God reigns. Yes, now and forever. Nothing is impossible for you, our King. And so we are here sharing and shouting our praises of how real you are, how you came from nothing, from the heavens, into a lowly manger. Heavenly Father, as we prepare... um, the word and the message today, and um, Lord, we lift up our special prayers tonight for um, the message and for all the coming and going as we, um, we have friends and family coming near and far, gathering together. Lord, bless those travels, just like you blessed the three wise men coming to see Jesus. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Okay, so welcome again. And if you're new, you're new here, welcome. We're so excited to see you. I mean, almost every seat in the house is filled, and that is just so joyous for us. Um, if you are new here, um, please take time and, and note um, new at gmc.org that address. And if you go there, you'll see a fun survey that you can fill out. And after today, we can keep in touch. Um, and you'll also receive um, a really special surprise afterwards. So here in the month of December um, and in the end of the year, did you know that for us, 35% of our offering and giving is during this time, during Christmas Eve um, and at the end of the year? So we totally urge everyone to give um, because, as Scripture had said, um, the, our message, the Christmas message, is God so loved the world that he gave. So, um, so even if you, um, there are four ways to give. Um, I, I know there's a basket going around, but did you know that we also have ways digitally to give? We have um, the Shelby Giving app and the other ways such as text messaging to, to give um, today. But you don't have to just give today. Um, if... Um, you're looking for a year-end um, place to donate, we are accepting donations all up until December 31st. And the best ways to do that is digitally as well. And again, if you're new here, welcome, welcome, welcome. And make sure you check out our website and new at gmc.org. Thank you. Oh, night, dear. 
guide Gus Kringle to your chimney. Good move, my man. Oh, uh, no, it's the, uh, star, star of Bethlehem. Right, yeah. Bethlehem, North Pole. Same thing, right? Oh. Nope. Uh, no, uh, uh, sorry. It's the, uh, the star that, you know, the Magi. Right, Magi. What is the Magi? I found something on the web about emojis. Check it uh, out. The Magi? The, uh, the, the wise men who came to see the Messiah. The, the, the Christ? The uh, Son of God. 
Then he would grow up to become Santa. No, no, no. He's going to grow up and he's going to pay for the sins of the world. Guess that'd be a pretty hefty price tag, huh? Hmm. Yeah. That's why it's called Christmas. Christmas. Well, I wish you would have told me all this before I spent my Christmas bonus and all that junk over there. Thanks a lot. Merry Christmas. No, I. I... I'm glad they don't show how that ends. Merry Christmas to you. If I haven't met you, I'm Chip Free, the lead teaching pastor here at uh, Garfield Memorial Church. I tell you, it's so good to see all you here. As Flora said, and uh, as I'm looking back to the back back there, all I'm saying is, thank God we added the seven o'clock service. Um, I'm so glad that so many came out. It's such a such a blessing. Um, we've been teaching the Christmas story this year at Garfield from the Gospel writer John. Each Gospel writer, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They tell the same story, they tell it very differently. They're not historians, even though they're eyewitnesses, and they share a lot of historical facts. They are gospel writers, and gospel means good news, right? They were proclaiming good news, a gospel, something that happened. And they're the best thing is they're like preachers, they're first century preachers. And how many of you have heard five different preachers preach on the same text? And it's, it's the same word, but it comes out a little bit differently. And Matthew and Luke tell us what happened at Christmas. Hallmark, you know, they paid close attention. Well, not real close attention, but at least they got the characters right. Um, The shepherds, the wise men, Joseph and Mary. John doesn't give us any of that. John doesn't tell us what happened at Christmas. John tells us why. And he has this wonderful kind of theological statement. And we've been saying throughout this series that if you're going to summarize what John says is where there's night, there's light. That's what Christmas Eve services started in a tradition hundreds and hundreds of years ago, was coming out on a night to light candles, right? They say uh, when the world has gone astray, and I think we could make a good case that our world has gone astray a little bit, um, it says you have two choices. You can light candles or you can curse the darkness. People of faith have learned to light candles and say even when there's night, even when there's darkness, there's light. So I want to read John's uh, Christmas story for you in the eloquent way that he reads it, okay? And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a confrontation between light and darkness. And I want you to ne- notice, I'm going to give you a quiz. There's a quiz after this, okay? How many times John says the word light? Now, Pastor Terry's way nicer than me. She's highlighted him. So she's helped you out, okay? But let's take a listen to this. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What's come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He, Jesus, was in the world, the Word, 
and the world came into being through him, just in case you weren't taking notes at the beginning. Yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God. That's the Christmas story for John. All right, who got it? How many times did he say light? It's seven. Somebody said six. Um, You count like I do. I'm from Youngstown. Uh, I can't count off more than one hand. Um, Seven times John says the word light. Now that's really significant because in, in Hebrew and Greek and Roman etymology back then, numbers were very important. They meant something. Okay, And seven was a dynamite loaded number in the Hebrew and the Greek and all of it. Seven always meant perfection or completion. That's why there were seven days in the week, right? And in Revelation, when God is summing up history, what does it say? There's a message to seven churches and there's seven bowls and seven scrolls and seven trumpets. It's a number of perfection or completion. And John, I don't think, said the word light by accident seven times. In fact, on the sixth time, he gave up the goods and says, this is the true light. This is the perfect light. This is the completion of everything that God has been proclaiming to us. And it's a reminder, the first thing we have to remember is we need the light of Christmas. We're desperate for it. That's why we put lights on our houses. That's why we light up candles. Um, I I live on a street that, that nobody can drive on right now, and my lights are still up. And I remember one of the workers on my street said, boy, do you, you must be serious about this because nobody's going to see those. I said, I will. Right? We need this light. That's why John calls it the true light. And it's the light for who? For all people. We're desperate for this light. Right? Why? Here's why. I don't think you have to be a rocket scientist to fix this one out. The world is a dark place. Darkness is in the world. I love what Egypt gave when she was given her spoken world, that, that you came to list us out of a world that we were never designed for in the first place. See, we always think we're physical beings coming out on Christmas Eve to have a spiritual experience. The Bible says you're a spiritual being that's having a temporary physical experience, right? That we're created for eternity. We're created to live with God. We're created to be in a relationship with God. But this world is broken. It's broken because of our own rebellion. He came to his own, right? But his own didn't know him. His own rejected him. That's the human condition. That's the problem. We need the light. We're desperate for the light. But we reject the light. And and I was thinking about that. Pastor Terry was sharing to me. Anybody watch it? I think it's Netflix. She told me. The Netflix series, The Crown. Anybody watch that? Yeah, two of you. Good. Terry, you're in good company, man. Um... You know, some of us watch Avengers and some of us watch The Crown. Um, But anyhow, uh, I didn't watch it, but she was sharing with me a story from it, and there was an episode dedicated to it, and I did some research. It was one of the greatest, they said, natural tragedies in in the history of Europe. But when you read it, it wasn't all, there was some human element to this. And it was in 1952, I don't know if you heard this, there, there was this odd fog and combination of chimney smoke that, that came across London and killed 4,000 people in one week. What happened, this fog came in, and it was this incredibly dense chemical fog, and it was in the wintertime, and all of the people in London were burning their coal chimney stoves, and as the coal came up into this fog, it was this kind of toxic ingredient, 
And what happened was, because it was so thick, everything got very cold. So guess what people did? Just put more coal on their fires and kept pumping you know, coal up. And it made it worse and worse and worse to the point that this thick fog was so thick, people could not see their own feet anymore. And they said the visibility was one foot off the ground. And 4,000 people died like that. See, that, that's an image of the, that's the world that Jesus came into. It was a thick fog of death and decay and sin. And he came in as a true light in a dark world, right? And, and, and we understand that. In fact, Isaiah had said this long before John talked about. He said that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, watch this, a light has dawned. See, what Isaiah is saying and what John is saying, and there's a light that's coming, but we can't manufacture it. The light, it doesn't say, you know, from them a light has dawned, right? But upon them, a light has dawned. See, the light comes from outside the human race. We can't fix the greatest problems in the world. Now, you know, we don't have that particular ability. You know, we try, and what do we end up doing? Just throwing more coal on the fire. It takes God to come in and rescue us. Now, the culture says that's all wrong. The culture says, you know, that, that you know, we, we have the power to fix ourselves. In fact, I read an advertisement in the New York Times that I didn't bring up with me, so I won't read it to you. Um, but it was, no, seriously, it's true, I didn't bring it with me. But I remember this, there was an ad, I forget what product it was, but it said that Christmas is a time of love, and if, and if we just all pull together, we can create a world of unity and peace. That really sounds good, but that's actually the opposite of the Christmas message. The Christmas message said the world was broken, and Jesus had to come in it. Now, I know we've sterilized the story so much. You know, Mary in the, in the Hallmark cards, she's always wearing designer dresses, man. You ever notice that? You know, Joseph is burly. The, Jesus is so cute. Um, you know, it looks like a Boston little manger in the, in the snow. And the truth is, when Jesus came in the world, the world tried to kill him right then. Herod sent soldiers in, was worried about a future coup to take his spot, and killed the babies in Bethlehem. Now, I know we don't have any Christmas cards of that story, but it's part of the Christmas story. And it caused Mary and Joseph and Jesus to flee for their lives. And on the other side of Christmas, they were refugees and illegal immigrants in the land of Egypt. And that's the story. War and violence and brokenness, it's all in there. And we, we don't have the power to fix that. We can't enlighten ourselves, right? And Christmas says we need something outside the world. And I was thinking of that advertisement saying, oh, we have the power to fix all this stuff. And there was a guy, I don't know if you ever remembered this name. Um, his name was Vic, uh, Vaclav Havel. Anybody ever heard of him? Vaclav Havel was the first ever uh, president of the democratic uh, state of Czechoslovakia um, after the Cold War ended and everything. And, and you know, he had been the, the president, the leader of Czechoslovakia during its reign of socialism too. So Vaclav Havel became this incredible voice in the world. He was great through the UN because he had lived under socialism and he's, he's lived under capitalism and democracy. And you know what he said? Neither one of these will fix the world. This way... This is what he was talking at, at, at a speech at um, the UN, and he said, look, tech, he said, um, he looked deeply into socialism and capitalism, and he said, neither one of these things are going to solve the greatest human problems. Technology and science can tell you what to do and how to do it efficiently, 
but they can never tell you whether you should do it or not. He said all science, he said science can tell us that what, you know, what to do, but he knew that science unguided by moral principles had given us the Holocaust. Therefore, watch this, he concluded that neither technology, politics, or the free market would ever be able to save us from nuclear conflict, environmental degradation, or ethnic violence. And I think history has proven him to be true. And he, this was his closing statement at the UN that day. He said, pursuit of the good life will not help humanity save itself, nor is democracy alone enough. A turning to and seeking of God is needed. The human race constantly forgets that he is not God. Wow. Right? These words ring true. He knew there was a light, but he knew we couldn't possibly have the ability to fix it ourselves. We need this light. We need this light of Christmas to come in. We need Emmanuel. We need God with us, walking with us. The word becoming flesh. And that's the good news out of the bad news is, yes, the world is a dark place, but, and if you were here last Sunday, (laughs) but there is a true light, right? There is a true light coming. And and, and one of the interesting things about this is, is John says to us something very interesting. He said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. What's up with that? The Word was God, but the Word was also with God. And what is it up with with Genesis 1.28 when God is creating human race and God said, let us, let us, who's the us? Make them in our own image. Male and female, let us create them. From the beginning of time, the Bible tells us that, that God has lived in, in, a, in a sense of, you know, we call it the Trinity because we don't know what else to call it, that he's revealed himself to us as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But in the, in the essence of God, that God has lived in relationship. God has lived in love and interpersonal love. See, if God was just a being out there, then the only thing would be power. And love wouldn't even been created until he created someone to love. But the Bible says that God... He was, was God, but was with God, that God has lived in love from the beginning, that love preceded power. And so John would write later, not saying, you know, that God is loving, but he says in 1 John that God is love. And in this opening story, if you read it, John said, we have seen his glory, right? The word became flesh. We have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son. We've seen God's glory is God's essence. We've seen it. This is the best thing we're going to see of God. And what do we see? A God who is in a loving relationship, which means that the ultimate, you know, bottom line for all of us is love and relationships, right? That that's what we are created for. That's the light we're looking for. And I love, John writes later to the church, this is the message we've heard from him, Jesus, and proclaim to you that God is light And in him, there is no darkness at all. Okay? But what's our our problem, right? Um, Why can't we fix um, the world? See, here's the thing. This this is what we're all all looking for, right? We're all looking for this kind of love, ultimately. But there's a problem we have. You know what it's called? It's called selfishness. 
In fact, we did this massive study on temperaments in the fall. We had like 400 people in small groups. We had a national Christian coach in here teaching us about temperaments. Um, we had people learning whether they were a, a yellow or a red or a blue and a green. It was a great time looking inside. And we found out that each of us are designed a little differently. We have different temperaments, right? Um, I'm a yellow, which means I exaggerate. Um, I talk a lot. I got to be the life of the party, right? Um, you know, it's just, it's just who I am. The, the, the coach said I'm a wiggler. I can't sit still. That's just my temperament. But, you know, lest we think, oh, one temperament's better than the other. No, she said, she said, there's one trait that all the temperaments share. Selfishness. <laughs> Every temperament has this degree of selfishness. And selfishness is the exact, it, it, it's, it's what ruins love. Because love is you first, me second. But selfishness, there's something in us that continually says me first. And when we look at all the problems in the world, whether it's war, racism, violence, whatever it is, in every single case, it's the absence of love. It's the loss of love, right? And so we're hungry for this connection. This is, this is what we need, but we've got this me first problem, and we can't get out of the way. So, so I just want to wrap, wrap up a little bit by saying, so how do we then live in this true light? Because that's what the apostles are urging us to do. They said, we saw God's glory. We saw the Christmas story. We lived with him. We walked with him. We, we heard his groans. We, we watched him give his life for us. How do we access this? Peter says, look, he says to the church after he'd blown it, Peter blew it many times and got back up and told us we're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may learn, you, right, may learn to declare the praises of him who did what? Who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. How do we, how do we live in this? How do we access this? What we're looking for, this, this intimate relationship with God, with, with all things. And, and there's two things we got to do. First, we got we to understand we're in darkness. We got to be able to see that. And darkness sometimes, have you ever been in a dark room? You just don't know where you're going, right? Um, and and you know, you're stumbling. And we're, we, we've got to be able to admit that, Lord, I don't know the way. And I'm, I'm understanding, I, you know, there's a problem in me, but I want to understand the depth of your love. And we see that. In Jesus Christ, this one born to manger who would ultimately go to the cross and would take, as the Bible says, take our penalty. What does that mean? Well, let me tell you something. What is the penalty of selfishness? Right? It's the loss of love. One great scholar I appreciate said it this way. He said, the punishment that selfishness deserves is the one it always gets. A loss of love. Right? I'll do a little Shakespeare on you to prove I actually did pay for my education. Um, but in Shakespeare's Henry VIII, I don't know if you remember that, the Cardinal Wolseley, who becomes the Archbishop of England, who collaborates with King Henry VIII to annul his marriages and execute his wives, etc. At the end of his life, Wolseley is left totally alone. And he says these lines. He said, if I had been half as zealous for my God as I was for my king, maybe God would not have left me naked and alone in my old age. See, the, the, the punishment of selfishness deserves is the one it always gets. But Jesus went to the cross and took what we deserve for us. He experienced the loss of love. He experienced forsakenness, 
right? For us, and when we understand that, when we know that we have a blindness, but we know that Christmas says that Jesus came, you know, not just for us to sing one time a year, but to, but to live the life that we should live and die the death that we deserve, then suddenly God's love can come into me, and it can fill me so that I can now actually learn how to love other people. Because that's what it is. As this light has come in, this is what I want to challenge you tonight. When we light candles to close this service, is this just a ritual? Is this just a routine? Or is this a declaration? Where you say, I understand the world is a dark place. But I know that Jesus Christ is the world's true light. And as he has filled my heart, I now can go out and fill into other people. I can bear this light. That's what this should be when we light this candle. And I'm going to leave you with two case studies. And then I'm done. Two case studies. Anybody, anybody art critics in here? I hope you know the name Vincent Van Gogh, right? Few of you do. More people know Vincent Van Gogh than watch The Crown. I just, from the nodding of heads, I just learned that. Um, but anyhow, Vincent Van Gogh, how many, knew, how many knew that before Vincent Van Gogh was a painter, he was a preacher? He was an ordained minister in the Methodist church. And Van Gogh went to the first church he was ever to serve. Now, I know he had a bunch of other problems, but he was an ordained minister and he had a passion to serve Jesus. And he went to the church and he went in his church and he was all excited as young ministers are to serve the people of that region, right? But when he went into his church, guess what? He said, the people in the church don't look an awful lot like all the people in the town. Everybody in the church is all dressed up. Everybody in the church is acting so haughty. But there are minors out there that don't get dressed up. They get off work and they're still dirty. There are, there are indentured servants out there, all these people. And he, asked, he just asked this question. Why does the church not look like the world? And so he began to go out to live amongst the people. In fact, he took his salary and he, you know, he would talk to people and they said, well, we don't have money to dress up for church. And he said, you know, and he began to buy furniture for them and he, he began to be with them. In fact, he really ticked the church off because he left the apartment that they gave him for free and went out and spent his own money so he could live with the people. And a major fire hit that town. 30 people were killed. And Van Gogh, preacher Van Gogh, was out there tearing his own clothes to bandage people. And then he said, you know what? There were children killed. There were families displaced. He opened up the church building. He said, you can come in here. You can stay overnight in here. You can come here for anything that you need. And you know what? People began to flood that church. And because he, the doors of the church were open to them in time of need, guess what happened? On Sunday morning, they started coming to church. Whether they had nice clothes or not. Whether they could wash the soot off their face from the mines or not. How do you think the elders of the church handled that? The church grew incredibly. And the elders came in one day and looked at this crowd and said, this is not who you were hired to minister to. And they fired him on the spot. And you know what Van Gogh did that night? He painted this picture. You'll see it up on the screen. It's called Starry Night. It's Van Gogh's indictment against the people of God. If you pay close attention to it and you see it up on the big screen, and you, some of you online can see it, the lights are everywhere, right? The lights in the sky, like the stars of Christmas, the angel chorus. Do you notice the lights are on in the houses? Do you see that? Do you see where the light's not on? Only place it's not on is in the church. 
He felt they had lost their witness of being light bearers. And you notice this tree, this was Van Gogh's image of the tree of life. And the tree of life is reaching up into the heavens, one of the biographers says. But the steeple, which is really kind of elongated, just simply can't keep up. It tries to reach heavens, but it can't do it, and it has no light left in it. And, you know, is that, is that the church we want to sit in and sing Silent Night and light candles and blow them out and go home? That was Van Gogh's indictment. And I thought about that, and I thought about a story I heard from Robert Fulgham years ago. Robert Fulgham um, is the guy that wrote, I, I know I'm showing my age here. Okay, Pastor Terry, I deserve it. Um, he's the guy that wrote Everything I Learned, I Learned in Life, I Learned in Kindergarten. It was an old book, it was a great book. But Van, Fulgham would travel around, he would listen to speakers. And he went, um, he went to a place in Crete where there was a guy named Alexander Papaderos. Alexander Papaderos created a center in Crete for human learning and peace because when World War I broke out, when the Nazis stormed Crete, they, they executed whole villages and there was long-term hostility between the Cretes and between the Germans. And, and Alexander Papaderos, he made it his life mission to build bridges. And he built so many bridges in the, with those com- countries that all of a sudden countries from around the world began to come and to learn how to be ambassadors of peace. And so Fulgham went to this conference. Now, he's kind of ornery if you ever heard of him. And what Fulgham said, what he loved, that wherever he went, he didn't care who was speaking, you know, some great speaker. At the end of the, whenever a speaker gives a presentation, I fly around and do some of these presentations. And at the end of every presentation, what are we supposed to say? Any questions? Right? You've been in those? And... And you're like sitting there going, please don't ask a question where we got to hear the whole thing again. Like, right? Like, don't, you know, somebody goes, oh, yeah, whatever, you know, and they go back into a lawn. So Robert Fulgen always jumped the gun and he said, he said, I always, before anybody else says anything, I pop my hand up in the air and say, what's the meaning of life? He said, that ends the meeting pretty quick. People shuffle, laugh, and they go off. And they, so he was there after Papaderos had given his message on, on building building community, being light bearers, right? And, and so he says, any questions? And Fulgham says, what's the meaning of life? And all the other people in there started to laugh, closed their books, and got ready to leave. And Papaderos looked and said, I'll answer that question. And he reached into his billfold, and he pulled out a mirror. It was round, about the size of a 50-cent piece. And he said, when I was a boy in the Nazi stormed Crete, I found this broken piece of mirror that was off a Nazi stormtrooper's motorcycle. We were very poor. We didn't have any toys. So he began to work that mirror, the edges of the mirror, on concrete and stone till he ground it into a perfect circle. And then he said, what I did with that mirror, since I didn't have any other toys, I challenged myself to say, where can I shine light into places that can't get it? So he would shine light down into wells, or he would shine them down into basements, or he would shine them into closets. And he said, this is something I did as a boy. And then he said these words at the end of it. He said, I grew to understand this was not just a child's game, but a metaphor for what I might do with my life. I came to understand that I am not the light or the source of the light. Sound familiar? But light, truth, understanding, knowledge is there, and it will shine in many dark places only if I reflect it. I am a fragment of a mirror whose whole design and shape I do not know. Nevertheless, 
with what I have, I can reflect light into the dark places of the world, into the dark places in the hearts of men and women, and change some things in some people. Perhaps others may see and do likewise. This is what I'm about. This is the meaning for my life. What a contrast, right? And Fulgham said for the first time in his life, when he asked that question, he got an answer. And he said for the rest of his life, he asked in my billfold, in my personal account, in what I do, is there a mirror in my pocket through which I'm shining light into a dark world? That's our challenge, friends, right? We need this light. We know we do. We live in darkness. We know we do. But that light has come into our darkness and challenged us to do what? To have a lightless church, a lightless home, a lightless marriage, a lightless career like Van Gogh painted, or to find, even in small things, a, a life call to say, like John the Baptist said, I am not the light, but I point toward the light. If all of us can do that, who light a candle tonight, what a different world this might be. And then we can truly sing joy to the world. Through, through us, the light has come. Amen? Let's stand together as we prepare to close. Will you pray with me for just a moment? Lord God, flood us with light right now. This is a somewhat of a dark room. But Lord, we're going to, in our own simple ways, uh, light candles as a symbol that your light has come. And as our declaration that though we'll blow that candle out here tonight, we won't turn off the light of your glory shining in our hearts. That we might go out and radiate this light in this coming year in new and different ways. And maybe we'll discover the very reason for which we were born. Shine on our hearts, Lord Jesus. Fuel it, Holy Spirit, into an unquenchable fire. We ask in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. You got candles as you come in today. Pastor Terry and I are going to light the ushers' candles. They're going to come to light your candles. Big, big favor, okay? Um, please. This is Candle Lighting 101. If you have a lit candle, how many of you know this carpet is less than a year old? The chairs are less than a year old, okay? I have our building people. We, we did virtual candles last year, and we had so many of you say, oh, we missed the real thing. If you screw this up, <laughs> you will never get the real thing in here again. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, take your unlit candle and dip it into the lit candle, right? Don't turn over the lit candle, all right? That's our word. All right, let's, let's uh, share the light of Christ.
your candles up. We are making a declaration today that we're going to carry the light out into the world, that the light that we have received, we will try to reflect. We can't be the light, but the light can shine through us. So take in the Christ child and let's celebrate together that Christ the Savior is born. So as we blow out the candle, don't let the light go out in your heart. Go out into the world and be a light. Go in the peace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ the Savior is born. Hallelujah and amen.